I have some toast, so if you Podcast. hear some crunchy noises, then, yeah. uh, then you know where it's coming from. It's like having Molly back again. It's Friday, October the 29th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Gordon Darek, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Bullshit Buster-in-Chief, and with me today is Paul Peters, Master Student in Civil Engineering and Air Fryer Flinging Aficionado. Mm-mm. So, I know what you are, your title is referring yeah. to, I just have no idea what my title is referring to. I was so just scrolling randomly <laughs> through uh, Twitter and I found that you uh, reposted this thing about the Brabant National Air Fryer Flinging Championships. Did I? So oh. You did, yeah. <laughs> this is a few days ago, you've probably just moved on from it. I really moved on from this. I think I just uh, uh, put this away, yeah, uh, mentally. But, um, yeah, if you start with your uh, job title, then I will, uh, in the meantime, look this frying pan flinching stuff up. And Remind yourself of what it was with this rather surreal experience. Yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah, this obviously refers to, unfortunately, we are going to have to mention the person we try really hard not to mention on this podcast, yeah. uh, but we, we, we can't avoid him. Thierry Baudet had uh, uh, one of his very creative uh, charts. Um, you know, once in a while, he posts a graphic about coronavirus or something. Um, and uh, this this was really, uh, I looked at it, first of all, I thought it was your typical Baudet chart where he'd, he, 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 you know, he'd skewed the y-axis so that yeah. it started at the wrong place. It was about coronavirus deaths. He claimed he'd found 5,000 unexplained deaths hmm. during the during the summer, which obviously was, uh, which he said couldn't be to do with coronavirus. So what were they? And of course, he already had an answer in his head because uh, he immediately put it in the context of it was the start of the vaccination campaign. When he looked at it, you know, the, the, the fact that he'd skewed the y-axis is bad enough but I actually had a little <laughs> yeah. dig into the, the figures no, that's the worst thing <laughs> no, no no it really wasn't the worst thing see I oh. thought it was the worst thing and I was mistaken uh, because I had a spare hour this uh uh, this week so I actually recreated this chart and discovered not only had he but obviously put it on the wrong y-axis so it looked as if the deaths were like three or four times the expected level but also then taken his in, instead of using a reliable measure of expected deaths he'd taken his own measure which was basically the mm. average deaths over the previous five years which sounds reasonable but of course the population was smaller then because yeah. the population in the Netherlands is constantly growing. So obviously, if you compare deaths this year with deaths not f- over the previous five years, but you actually missed out 2020 because it was the corona year, which again sounds a perfectly reasonable thing to do, but ultimately it means his baseline is lower than, yeah. than it really should be. And therefore, th- that then exaggerates the number of excess deaths you have. So ultimately, when I crunched the numbers, remade the chart two or three times, and it turned out that you didn't have 5,000 excess deaths. You had about... F- you know 1400 which yeah. uh, and but uh, the reason i highlighted this as ever i mean i try to ignore uh Baudet's nonsense because often it is but he actually said he was going to ask questions in parliament about this so yeah. i felt like it was important to actually raise the fact that he was asking alarming questions in parliament based on absolute pure 100 percent premium grade bullshit so he's now uh, also an armchair statistician uh, if only we have an independent agency here in the netherlands that uh, deals with these sort of things uh, yeah and uh, uh, produce reliable information
information, pre- reliable analysis that that would uh, that would really help. Yeah, yeah, it would really be great if we lived in a country where people are constantly churning out numbers to the second decimal point and doing all these calculations <laughs> and sticking them online. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So perhaps that some good will come out of it. But yeah, a classic bit of uh, just um, fantasy number crunching by Thierry Baudet. But I really hope now that he does actually raise this in Parliament and that somebody's paid attention to what you know how how, how he's manipulated the figures because uh, yeah. that could that could be quite fun. It will it will not matter for his uh, for his uh, support base though. But, uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully uh, someone will point that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you did a good, really good job on that, by the way. Oh, thank you. I just remind myself that uh, uh, while you were uh, um, 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 fact-checking and bullshit-checking uh, Thierry Baudet, uh, I uh, looked up my Twitter feed and I found that indeed I have tweeted about this. Uh, it was the NK Airfryer yeah. uh, Werpe. How uh, could you so forget? I forgot because I didn't actually read about it, but uh, uh, I, I know why I retweeted it because I f- thought the headline was very funny. Yeah. Um, an, an air fryer is that also something that you that is known in uh, in in the UK and in in English or yeah, it you is. You call it but something uh, else. No, it's called an air fryer, but it's mm. uh, they're not so common, I don't think, because we people tend to use deep fat fryers still. Yeah. 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 The air yeah, fryers, air fryers are, are really considered to be. A fake deep frying yeah. uh, tool machine, yeah. uh, and uh, you know it's, it's not, a way it's of kind of taking the, the you know the, the, um, the, the, the it's a way of making deep fat frying healthier. And frankly, what's the point of that? Exactly. Yeah, you, you want <laughs> goes against the whole principle something. of deep fat frying and eating exactly. chips. Exactly, yeah. and it just. Um, um, affects uh, the whole Dutch uh, cuisine culture, I think, because, you know, in the Netherlands, uh, we have only one uh, type of food, and that's deep fried food. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, this is the, it, it's, it's, it's getting rid of the whole point of Dutch uh, uh, eating culture, yeah. Um, it's, it's, so it's, another, it's another part of our culture that's being taken away by, you know, exactly. by political correctness. Exactly, yeah. Um, but there was an, uh, a, a national championship uh, throwing these machines uh, so as far away as possible, uh, which is the only appropriate uh, way to handle this thing, I think. Um, and it was won by uh, someone called Willem. He uh, threw it uh, almost 10 meters away and he wow. won a real deep fryer. So, um, yeah, that was, <laughs> uh, that's an excellent prize, I think. Yeah, good work by Willem. Yeah. Yeah, it's another thing that the Netherlands and Scotland have in common, I think, uh, the the love of deep fr- deep fat frying. Do, do we have an explanation for that? I don't know, maybe it's just a thing in Calvinist countries or something, I'm not sure. But, uh, mm, or yeah. place where, we need but, uh, to do an, uh, a Bible analysis on this, maybe somewhere hidden in the Bible it says, you shall deep fry your food, and yes. uh, uh, we have just taken it over, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sh- sh- shallow frying, air frying is the devil's work. <laughs> yes I think that's uh, my theory is that Adam and Eve were, were actually expelled from the Garden of Eden is because they wanted to air fry something yeah exactly yeah. they wanted to air fry the snake yeah <laughs> um, yeah and that brings us to uh, the uh, op of the week I think um, sort of and yeah, we we cannot have another week without another Corona app disaster. Well, actually, it's been a quite a long time since we had a disaster with a Corona app, I think. But this time it was really, it, it was pretty disastrous, I think. Uh, it all started after it turned out uh, that even dead German dictators got vaccinated because RTL News reported that it had scanned a QR access code, which was registered under the name of Adolf Hitler. Mm. And it also returned a green result <laughs> indicating that the code was 
in fact valid. Uh, RTL writes that uh, cyber criminals are selling fake but valid QR codes on hacker forums for 300 euros each. Hitler's QR code was distributed by the criminal as proof that he could make a valid QR access code for literally anyone. Um, even though not literally anyone because the uh, 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 date of birth was wrong. Um, yeah, it was 1st of January 1900. Right? Yeah, so I think yeah. the system only allows... Uh, if you are a German dictator born in the 19th century, then yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately you can't have uh, uh, all your information on the QR code. But Even if you fake your date of birth, you can still get a valid QR code. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a pretty problematic, of course. And HL writes that the imitation codes uh, are French or Polish, but under the EU's reciprocal scheme, uh, they can also be used in the Netherlands and in all other European countries, of course. And also in uh, in Britain. Uh, also in Britain uh, now. Yeah, we'll come to that. Now. But yeah, so, yeah. So, so Hitler can finally get to get to London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't manage it in 1943. But, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the health ministry um, told RTL News that it is investigating how the codes are generated exactly uh, and because if the hackers have obtained the secret private keys used by uh, the legitimate makers of the QR codes, it could mean that all QR codes issued by the affected countries have to be invalidated. And uh, luckily, there's currently no sign that the Dutch private keys have been stolen. Yeah. And in fairness, I mean, Hitler didn't, hasn't had coronavirus, so it's clearly, the vaccine clearly works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, imagine if you live in the Bible Belt and even Hitler got vaccinated before you. I mean, something yeah. is really uh, going wrong there. That should be telling you something. Yeah. This week, new coronavirus restrictions are on the way as infections and hospital cases rise again. The coalition talks enter the history books before they've even finished. The government is told to step up its efforts to stop climate change. Ronald Koeman's Barcelona dream turns sour and a submarine crew have a surprising and very fitting visitor. New coronavirus restrictions are on the way after the number of patients in hospital began taking off this week to the surprise of Hugo de Jonge and practically nobody else. A week ago there were just under 700 coronavirus patients in hospital, that's gone up to 944 yesterday, including just over 200 who are in intensive care. And with infections going up by 55% a week, and on Thursday we had nearly 8,000, those numbers are likely to double before any new measures take effect. De Jonge has hinted that there could be separate restrictions for the unvaccinated, and public opinion looks to be on his side, although the cabinet now seem to be rowing back on that idea. Nevertheless, in a survey for TV show Ein van Dag, 72% of people said there should be specific measures to deal with the unvaccinated, and 60% said people who hadn't had the vaccine should pay for tests to get into bars, restaurants, cinemas, and other indoor venues out of their own pocket. De Jong has said we were increasingly facing a pandemic of the unvaccinated, with 83% of the adult population now fully vaccinated, while unvaccinated people account for 80% of intensive care admissions. Yeah, but these um, uh, unvaccinated uh, people infected with coronavirus, they infect people who are vaccinated. So yeah, it's you can't really say that the pandemic is only soaring through the uh, unvaccinated share of the people, I think. Uh, they are affecting the vaccinated people as well. So No, definitely not. I mean, there's a study in The Lancet, I think I saw this morning, that uh, people who are vaccinated are just as likely to pass on the virus as people who aren't. 
And the only thing is that I think the problem is at the moment what you have is a situation where, especially in indoor venues, you have vaccinated people mixing with unvaccinated people. Yeah. Now, if you only spread the vaccine, if you only spread the disease among people who are vaccinated, they tend not to get very sick with it, where with some exceptions, but they will pass it on to people who are unvaccinated and not protected. So yeah. the safe thing is to get vaccinated, but as long as you have this quite still reasonably large share of the population who haven't had the vaccine, the, the infection is going to spread. And the main reason the infection is spreading is not because people haven't had, been had the vaccine. It's because because um, the government has been sitting on its hands watching infections go up for four weeks now and done absolutely nothing. Yeah, and uh, we have, of course, uh, uh, we should have a system in place where, which would separate the healthy people from the from the sick people. That's the QR access code. But you know, if you've been to a restaurant or or not the public place, and you would will have noticed that hardly anywhere you are asked to show your QR code, yeah. and uh, uh, as a result, uh, you have these these sick people mixed with the healthy people. So yeah, it's. Uh, uh, um, uh, that is, of course, because the police and the BOAS and uh, 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 ha- have said before the QR access code was actually put in place that they would not enforce it. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, the restaurants are not going to ask it because there's not a chance they will be fined. So, yeah, that was just probably the, the stupidest thing that, that has ever been done, in my opinion. But Yeah, um, that, that yeah. was stupid. But I think even if they hadn't said it, people would have gotten on to the fact they weren't checking over the course of the last few weeks. I mean, I went to I went out in Amsterdam uh, last week and I think I was checked in one of the four venues I went into, whether yeah. I had a um, yeah, whether the vaccine code. Some places are very strict and they check literally everybody on the door. Other places just don't bother. And I certainly know of people who haven't had the vaccine and they are sharing addresses of places in their WhatsApp groups uh, that aren't enforcing uh, the measure. You know, it's, it's, it's a classic kind of uh, uh, Dutch response. If you don't agree with something the government's doing, you kind of silently resist it, um, I think. And there's a lot of that going on. So, so it's not being enforced. We knew it wasn't being enforced. Um, the, the councils are also not enforcing the enforcers. They're, they're not checking whether the restaurants are actually um, uh, uh, checking people's QR codes at the door. And I still think uh, fundamentally it's just a flawed system because you have this situation where if you're unvaccinated, yeah, you can test negative before you go in. But then when you go into a venue, there are people there who've had the vaccine, who haven't been tested, who who, who, who will be carrying the virus but may not know about it because they don't have symptoms. And you'll catch the virus from them. So that, and, and then because you're not vaccinated and not protected, you get sick and end up in hospital. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always a chance that you are in the uh, vicinity of a of an infected pe- person. But yeah. you know, now if you don't enforce this, the, the QR codes, then that chance is of course much higher because you know that person hasn't been checked. Yeah, and because we're not testing people regularly anymore, then people will have the virus and go through a whole infection, maybe completely unaware. Um, and that's, that obviously means you're not doing a comprehensive test and trace situation, so you don't know where the virus is actually spreading. Yeah. And this whole thing that Huko de Jong says about pandemic on the vaccinated, I mean, we're actually, I actually looked at the figures in this week's um, uh, REVM uh, weekly report, and you can see that actually the proportion of people in hospital who, who have been vaccinated is going up. Um, so in September, it was about 66% of people in, hos- uh, in hospital were unvaccinated, but now it's 53%, which sort of implies, possibly, maybe, that um, the, the effect of the vaccines 
particularly for the people who got vaccinated earliest, is starting to wear off because you're seeing that older people now yeah. are getting sick more often and they're end up, obviously because they're older, because they're high risk, they're, they're ending up in hospital and in the intensive care unit. And that's what's driving the rise in hospitalization and infection care. So we're having all this talk about whether or not people should get vaccinated um, or whether or not we should have rules for the unvaccinated, but nothing at all about what other countries are starting to do, which is bring in third vaccine doses. For yeah, the most vulnerable. You, you don't hear yeah, anything about that. No, absolutely nothing right. about that, and I think that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we are um, um, talking about uh, having stricter rules for the unvaccinated people, but not everyone is in favor of that, right? No, and I think I'm looking at uh, RTL News this morning on Friday. It seems like the tide is maybe turning a bit. Um, and certainly, young Cloutmans, a microbiologist who's on the government's outbreak management team, he said he felt it would conflict with the freedom of the individual. He also yeah. just queried how unvaccinated people will be targeted when they're spread out all over the country. I mean, we know there are pockets of uh, places like the Bible Belt where there's very low vaccination rates, places like Urk and uh, Stapphorst. Um, but also in parts of the big cities like Rotterdam and The Hague, there are suburbs uh, and districts where the vaccination rate is quite low and you're seeing also high um, in infection hospital rates there. Uh, Diederik Commers, head of the Intensive Care Association, said we should avoid polarizing people even further on a divisive issue. And Mark Bonton, who's also on the OMT, said the government should try enforcing the existing rules more vigorously. There's an idea. Yeah. As well yeah. as bringing back you know, the, the basic measures like social distancing. Uh, again, you know, the, 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 these infections have been going up pretty much since September the 25th, which was the date that we abolished the one and a half meter rule. Exactly. Um, and there's uh, one crumb of good news for people coming from the UK. Yeah, because if you're in a hurry to travel to a country where infections are going up by 50% a week, <laughs> it's going to be easier for you now. Because the EU has approved the British National Health Service's COVID app, which means that from today, which is Friday, British visitors no longer have to take a lateral flow test every 24 hours if they want to go out for a meal or go to a museum. A, a lateral flow test sounds very uh, euphemistic, I think. <laughs> it does, yeah. I was just thinking that as well, yeah. You can hor horizontal uh, flow tests or something. Yeah. Um, and it's reciprocal too. So uh, Dutch travellers can use their Corona check apps to get into pubs in Scotland. That's the one part of the UK where they have um, check at the door. So that's just in time for the COP26 climate conference in Glasgow, uh, which is good because that's somewhere you really don't want to be drinking outdoors in November. So, so anyway, we'll, we'll find out next Tuesday afternoon exactly what the new rules are because that's when uh, Hugo de Jong and uh, Mark Rutte are having their next press conference. Oh, we're Dutch having a new new press conference. We're having a new press conference. Yes, Does that also mean that we have? Uh, the, the, the Dutch News' mystery tweeter I hear on the grapevine that uh, yeah, contact has been made with the Dutch News mystery tweeter and I believe that they are making plans to uh, yeah, to, to cover this press conference in their own okay. inimitable style so whoever you are, thank you very much Yes Politics news now. Uh, we've been away for two weeks and still there's no news on the formation of a new cabinet. Uh, as a reminder, after seven months after the general election in March, the four parties that formed the old coalition and collectively won more seats finally decided to see if they could restart the cabinet. And while Prime Minister Mark Rutte's VVD, uh, Finance Minister Wupke Hoekstra's CDA, freshly resigned Foreign Affairs Minister Sigrid Kaars D66 and good old Gert-Jan Segers ChristenUnie continue to negotiate, party leaders keep 
keep their mouths firmly shut. And as a consequence, we have nothing to bring you. <laughs> um, but in, in a way, I mean, it's a good sign if, if we don't hear anything about them, right? Because they are in this in this dreaded radio silence phase of the of the negotiations. And yeah. that means as long, there is, as long as there is no news, uh, it's good news. You assume it it's good news, are, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it means that they are progressing. And uh, as soon as we start, if we see stuff leaking, then we know uh, things are, are, are getting yeah. uh, getting worse. Um, but we do have a fun fact, though, because this week the record of longest formation period in Dutch parliamentary history was broken, namely 225 days. Yeah, and when was that record set, Paul? Uh, last time. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, Margrethe broke his own record. And Congratulations. He, uh, he, he pretended uh, 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 that he didn't know anything yeah. about it. Uh, to he, he's he's the Sergei Bubka of, uh, of uh, long cabinet yeah. formations. <laughs> and he, he just keeps breaking his own record. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he claimed that he didn't know anything about it. But, I mean, if you know anything about Mark Rutte, then, uh, of course, he's keeping an eye on all the records, and all, especially the parliamentary history records. Well, the record so, he uh, really cares about is uh, beating Ruth Libus's record for the longest sitting prime minister, right? Yeah, yeah. So he yeah, probably just wants to keep uh, on negotiating until he's passed that. <laughs> and then At least. Yeah, uh, 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 I mean, it, it's looking well for him, right? He's yeah. going to be the next prime minister, but um, uh, 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 it, it could be, it might be smart for him to just uh, prolong the formation period as long as possible. Uh, yeah. And as soon as he broke the record, then just resign and yeah. then uh, have someone else. Uh, and uh, need take, someone else take to clear off the mess. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we have broken this record now, but we can only comfort ourselves with the fact that we are still not near the world record of longest periods without the government. Uh, that's currently held by Belgium with uh, 541 days. So right. we still have a, uh, quite a long time to go until we have broken that record. Yeah, but I, I think we can do it. Yes, Belgium we, yeah, I'm sure we can do it. Yeah. yeah, if anyone can do it, it is the four people now sitting in the uh, logement. I think there are yeah. a meeting now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we've had another week of staring at heavy wooden doors with no news. But uh, luckily, the CDR can always be relied on to spice things up with another scandal, can't we? Can't exactly. They? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah the CDR... Uh to begin with, uh, they had a very rough week. They have plummeted in the polls, uh, yeah, ever since elections, basically. But uh, 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 w- which was already quite dramatic for them because they lost almost a quarter of of the votes and uh, only won 15 seats. But they are currently polling at uh, only eight seats. So yeah, that's uh, very dramatic. And uh, I remember the time the CDI had over 40 seats in yeah. the Tweede Kamer. So yeah, this is just. Uh, unimaginable, I think. If you have, t- you, uh, if ten years ago you had said to someone that uh, they would pull at eight seats, they would uh, 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 told you you were crazy. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. And many of its voters, particularly farmers and people from rural areas, have switched to the Burgerbeweging of Caroline van der Plas, uh, which now has only one seat but is uh, gaining popularity. Uh, and now also CDA politicians are starting to switch sides. Former CDA MP Maurits van Martels uh, became a BBB member this week. He stated that he was very unhappy with the party's new vision on agriculture. And in that vision, the CDA acknowledged for the first time uh, the need to reduce the number of livestock in the Netherlands in order to reach the nitrogen emission goals. And many farmers felt betrayed by the CDA, especially because the shift in opinion was announced only a couple of months after the election. And um, ever since um, uh, that new 
Um, uh, agriculture vision, 68% of farmers uh, said in a recent poll they would vote for Baby Bay now. And only mm. 4% would vote again for the Christian Democrats. So yeah, they did. And, and, and uh, if you, uh, 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 farmers and people in rural areas, that's basically their electoral base, right? So yeah, it has been uh, for a long time, yeah. It has been for a very long time and yeah. quickly losing all of these people. So, and we have an, a new election coming up uh, in March, a new municipality election. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Baby Bay is participating in that, or at least not in very um, uh, in a lot of municipalities. But yeah, it would really be, we could really see. Um, uh, traditionally, these elections are always won by uh, the CDA because they yeah. uh, uh, they they ha- they used to have a very um, a loyal uh, electoral base. Um, but yes, yeah, since so many. People have said they would no longer support uh, the CDI. Yeah. Uh, it will be interesting to see who, who they will vote for now. Yeah, it is kind of a fascinating phenomenon. I think the way farmers, you know, who you always thought of as the most kind of solid conservative people in the world and were such a core part of the traditional Dutch identity, have become this very radical, unhappy, angry section of society who are now voting for basically a protest party. You know, I think yeah. that would have been unthinkable you know, even five years ago. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. But yeah, it has to do with the fact that the CDA is facing reality. Uh, let's be honest here. They acknowledge that there are problems and it needs to be solved. And that yeah. uh, that also means that farmers need to uh, contribute to the solution. And uh, yeah, these, these farmers really feel betrayed by that. They don't want to have anything to do with that. And they uh, switch sides to Baby Bay, which, uh, yeah, to be honest, uh, doesn't really have a uh, realistic program or, or, or anything. And yeah. yeah, you can you can support them, but it will not change anything. So, yeah, yeah, it, yeah it exactly. Would be, it would be better for them, as uh, the CDR uh, is saying, to just constructively work to a solution that is in the best interest of the of the of the farmers. And um, uh, just ignoring that there is a problem uh, will not bring you anywhere. Yeah, but this is curious still that the, the CDR just can't seem to carry their hinterland with them in the way that like they just seem to be completely abandoned by them and why they're not able to go out into the farming communities and places you know where they're electorally strong like Brabant and, uh, and and actually talk to farmers and see how they can you know work on a solution. The whole polar model seems to have broken down in that regard. It's kind of... Whereas, for example, the Fefe Day, they're still quite strongly supported by their base, which is like the, you know, the, the business community. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, I think it's an interesting contrast. Uh, we'll have to see whether the CDR can win back the farmers. But there's also been other news with the CDR because um, there's uh, been talk of an underground whispering campaign. Mm. So what's that about? Yeah, a, a, quite a peculiar revelation, I have to say. Uh, a newly published book called uh, Code Rood by parliamentary journalists Peter Kay and Thijs Broer claims that CDA leader Wopke Hoekstra and former CDA MP Pieter Omzicht were involved in an underground campaign to attack Mark Rutte in the run-up of the elections. Uh, this uh, project was codenamed Operation Black Hand, mm. which, uh, depending on um, <laughs> uh, which book you have read last, uh, uh, reminds you of uh, Pietje Bell, or in my case, uh, <laughs> the assassination of uh, Franz Ferdinand yeah. in 1914. Um, and the plan was to release American-style ads on Twitter, focusing on broken 
and promises of Rutte during his decade as PM. Um, a brainstorm session in February was attended by Pieter Omzicht, and it resulted in a list of ideas that could potentially damage Rutte. And this list included things like uh, the Rutte doctrine, the childcare benefit scandal, but also Rutte's handling of MH17, the unproven allegation of child abuse against the former senior civil servant uh, Joris Demming, and also Rutte's sexuality. Mm. And yeah, this is just a very strange list. I mean, uh, the the first two items I can I can understand why you could attack Mark Rutte politically, but the other uh, three things are just yeah. very yeah. It's it's just wild. I think increasingly weird. Yeah, yeah. The the, the whole Demink business, you know, which is the, the, this continuing um, conspiracy theory about uh, Joyce Deming, who was head of the civil service in the Justice Department, I think. Yeah. And yeah. he was alleged to have used his diplomatic status basically to go off and abuse young boys in Turkey and other countries, and none of it was ever proven. Uh, but because you know, it, it's you can't really disprove it, and you know, he, he did have this diplomatic status. The the the, the theories continue to circulate. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. Yeah, it's a very popular topic among conspiracy theorists, and yeah, uh, yeah it is. It is basically the the original uh, QAnon, I think, because uh, uh, the the conspiracy theory says that uh, there is this cover up among uh, high profile Dutch politicians and uh, uh, other people in society uh, that they have this sort of uh, pedophilic um, uh, uh, cult uh, yeah. uh, among them. And uh, they are all protecting uh, themselves against it. It's really, it's been going on for, for decades, for a decade now, I think. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really the original QAnon, if you, if you yeah, think Yeah, it, it, it is like, it's like sort of like a prelude to Pizzagate, almost. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just just that the uh, CDA campaign team comes up with this topic in order to damage Mark Rutte. I mean, it's just yeah. very wild. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the book says that the plan was abandoned because no advertising company could be found to carry out uh, Operation Black Hand. And CDA interim chair Monix van Rijn said that uh, the plan, uh, uh, it was simply a plan by the campaign team, a brainstorm session, basically, a brainstorm idea, and it was deemed CDA unworthy before it was seriously considered and shut yeah. down before it could be put to uh, CDA leader Hoekstra. And Peter Omzicht uh, said in a statement that uh, he confirms that he did attend the brainstorm session, but he immediately distanced himself when he realized the plan was to personally attack uh, Mark Rutte. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, w- when, when the news broke first, I thought, wow, this is probably going to be a huge storm. And, but in the end, it, uh, 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 it, it, wasn't as, uh, it wasn't a media storm as I thought it was going to be. But still, no. it's a very weird, very weird story. And uh, the fact that they abandoned the plan, I mean, they, someone came up with the idea in the first place, right? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's uh, serious enough, I think. Yeah. And uh, a very... On Dutch, I mean, we 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 see uh, th- this sort of uh, negative campaigning. Uh, uh, we don't see really often in the Netherlands, and when it's when you see it, for example, the SP had a uh, campaign ad in the European elections directed against uh, Frans Timmermans. Yeah, um, that really backfired. So yeah, it's not in the Dutch tradition to 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 do negative campaigning, especially no. if it's so uh, unfounded as as these uh, these these topics. I think. Yeah, and again, it's so strange to see the the Christian Democrats, who are always the pillar of you know sort of, a, of of the you know who literally invented the, invented the Polder model with uh, you know, that was I think it's Ruth Lubbers who first talked about Polder and as, as this, this endless negotiation basically stand you know the the, the the party that for so long kind of embodied the the the, the, the very kind of uh, the, the, the 
thoughtful, discursive Dutch political system now increasingly kind of radicalizing in this way and using yeah. conspiracy theories. And ultimately, this kind of book was almost like a conspiracy theory about a conspiracy theory. You know, <laughs> the idea was the CDR were conspiring to undermine Mark Rutte using other conspiracy theories. It's like we're getting into conspiracy theory inception now. Yeah. Well, ultimately, it looks yeah. as if it looks to me as if basically two members of the campaign team, uh, possibly not the brightest uh, knives in the drawer, took it upon themselves to just to, to sort of throw out these ideas in a brainstorming session. It was pretty quickly smacked down by people like Peter Omzicht and Manus von Rijn, who were a bit more aware of how that would actually play in practice. But just the idea that they were using like anonymous videos, anonymous messages to attack Ritter. Obviously, it, it had to be anonymous because any of these things, that's like things like the Tuslach and Affair, Vopka Huska couldn't stand up and attack Ritter for that because he was part of the government that was involved. Yeah. So yeah. it had to be done in this, in this underhand way if they were going to do it. But it was really, yeah, but it's just really kind of quite surreal to see um, a party that was being so mainstream and so, you know, kind of conservative as the CDR uh, uh, resorting to these, uh, or even thinking about resorting to these desperate measures. Yeah, and he says uh, something about the state the party's in at the moment. Strange times indeed. The Netherlands needs to step up measures to combat climate change if it's to meet its own targets. That's the verdict of the Council of State, which says the plans introduced by the caretaker government in September don't go far enough, and direct intervention is needed. Climate change is not something that will happen in the future, it is happening now, it said in its new set of recommendations. That was also the message of the Environmental Planning Agency, PBL, this week. It said the Netherlands would miss its target of cutting greenhouse gas emissions to 49% of 1990 levels by 2030 if it didn't take further action. And the Weather Bureau, KNME, said sea levels could rise by up to 2 metres by the end of this century if the Antarctic ice shelf melts faster than forecast. The KNME raised its prediction of rising sea levels from 1 metre to 1.2 metres this week in a report published ahead of the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow next week. So a cheery news week, really. Yeah, it, yeah. F- very fun, very fun news week. Yeah. Uh, if you opened uh, Teletext at some point in, in this week, it was very depressing, I think. Yeah, it's uh, terrible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the report also said that the Netherlands was shifting to a Mediterranean climate with drier springs and summers punctuated by heavy storms. Does that mean we're going to have even more British tourists in the Netherlands? <laughs> Quite possibly, yeah. Oh, then we definitely should avoid this. We definitely try and avoid that. Yeah, uh, we'll also have lower river levels in summer, but too much rain in the winter. But as long as Vopka Hoekstra doesn't sell up his skating clubber and spend the money on schnapps and women, I'm sure we'll be fine. <laughs> Um, but in more positive news, some major companies are going green, right? Yeah, uh, ABP, one of the world's biggest pension funds, has announced it's going to stop investing in producers of fossil fuels, namely oil, gas and coal. The Civil Service Pension Fund has more than 3 million participants, and it said it took the decision on the back of reports by the International Energy Agency and the United Nations Climate Panel. ABP says it will divest its fossil fuel assets, which make up 3% of its portfolio, in phases over the next two years. Okay, so uh, we were definitely not going to see our pensions raised uh, because of this decision. Yeah, they're not going to go up in flames anyway. No, Hank will uh, will get even more mad now. Yeah. Uh, and Shell is also tightening up its environmental targets. Uh, the oil and gas giant says it wants to reduce carbon emissions to half of its 2016 levels by 2030. Previously, it had only committed to being carbon neutral by 2050. The move seems to be a response to a court ruling in May, ordering it to reduce its emissions faster, and a motion brought by activists at its AGM, which said it should draw up more ambitious plans to meet the targets in the Paris Climate Change Accord. 
We still don't have a government, the pandemic's out of control, and the whole country is about to be swamped by the North Sea. So, if you haven't got round to sponsoring us on Patreon yet, you might want to hurry up. This week, we welcome one new Dutch news donor, Eric Sherman. Thank you very much, Eric. Uh, he doesn't have a Thank question you. for us, but he does have a comment about an item we had last week where we were talking about topping out ceremonies on construction projects. Yeah. Because I mentioned that I'd been involved in uh, uh, meetings of a company, an American company, that were involved in a big building project in uh, in the Netherlands, and they hadn't heard about topping out ceremonies. But, but oh. Eric says, I wanted to reach out to guess that the American construction workers who didn't know what a topping out party was were non-union. I'm a union construction worker, and I'm very familiar with topping off celebrations. So there we okay. are. Okay. Yeah, I thought about this as well, and I thought the difference was that in other countries, uh, they only have a topping out ceremony if it is a building of substantial height. Um, yeah. uh, so if it's a huge tower or a skyscraper or anything, then that's more common. So in, in, in low-rise buildings, it might not be common practice. But in the Netherlands, because you know we are such a flat country, so everything yeah. that's higher than a meter <laughs> is tall for us, yeah. it, it deserves a topping out ceremony. So I thought maybe that's the difference, but yeah. uh, uh, probably it's also a union, non-union thing. Yeah, and maybe you just, you just celebrate the fact that your building is more than two meters above sea level, because that means it will survive uh, the climate. <laughs> <laughs> apocalypse so <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah but anyway thanks very much for that information anyway that does sound plausible um yeah uh, that could well be the answer if uh, you'd like to join eric and our other sponsors and raise the ceiling of our patreon contributions uh, above sea level log on to <laughs> patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dutch news nl De Nederlandse aardoliemaatschappij, better known as de NAM, is being dismantled, ending 75 years of Dutch gas extraction. The company is currently owned for 50% by Shell and the other half by ExxonMobil. All its Dutch oil and gas assets on both land and sea will be chopped into four separate limited companies and will be sold off, probably to foreign investors, with the exception of the Groninger gas field. Uh, that's the largest gas field in the Netherlands and it has generated hundreds of billions of euros for the treasury in the last decades, but it has recently been decided to shut the field down. Earthquakes induced by the gas extraction in the northern province have caused millions of euros of damage to houses and other buildings. The NAM has pledged to compensate for all the earthquake damages and Shell CEO Marjan van Loon has stressed that Shell remains committed to all the agreements that has been made with the people in Groningen. But NAM has only paid 60% of the bills it has received because it disagrees with the calculations. NAM posted a loss of 315 million euros last year due to lower gas prices well that will not be a problem anymore uh, this year i think certainly not also because of less production and extra provisions to pay for the damages so yeah they um the nom is saying that they don't have enough money to to invest in the smaller gas and oil fields anymore so they are selling that off mm. and uh, with the money they will earn they uh, hope to have enough money to uh, to compensate the damages yeah and speaking of the rising gas prices so uh, we've had the first casualty of the uh, dutch gas market haven't we yeah it's a small energy firm called welcom energy and it is indeed the first dutch victim of the soaring gas prices it's uh, permit to sell gas and electricity has been withdrawn by consumer authority ACM because the company is no longer able to guarantee supplies. The company's 90,000 clients have been transferred to Eneco and they will get a new contract but on the basis of the current high energy prices uh, they will have until December 1st to decide whether to accept the Eneco offer or move elsewhere. Uh, Welcome Energy was set up in 2019 by Jaap Bakker, who was early responsible for Energy Flex, also a small provider which went bust three years ago. So, mm. yeah, not someone right there with a great track record in the gas uh, industry, I think. Um, but the question is.
is how many more um, gas uh, uh, and, and energy firms will follow because, you know, these companies are, of course, in danger of uh, falling over, especially if you're a very small firm. Exactly. The very small companies that, um, yeah, that don't have very big resources um, are going to struggle, I think, because they have a lot of customers who are on fixed rate tariffs. So they're having to honor these fixed rate tariffs, even though their wholesale prices have gone up drastically. I'm with one of the bigger companies, but I've had a letter from them saying that my fixed rate tariff ends on November the 18th, I think it is. So I've got that date circled in my diary. That's when we're switching off the central heating. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just going to turn it up full blast until then. Yeah, and just uh, uh, just use all the unread books you have in your house as, uh, exactly, as a source fuel. of heating. Yeah. <laughs> Less than two years after he walked out on the Dutch national team to take up his dream job, Ronald Koeman has been sacked by Barcelona. The final straw was Wednesday night's defeat at Real Vallecano, but the writing had been on the wall for some time. Decades of spending beyond their means have caught up with the Catalan club. Lionel Messi left on a free transfer to Paris Saint-Germain in the summer because Barcelona couldn't afford to extend his contract. Koeman was hardly given any money to strengthen the squad and had to make do with free agents like Memphis Depay and Luc de Jong. Yes, so you see off Lionel Messi and you bring in Luke de Jong. Yeah. Results are going to, only going to go one way, really, aren't they? Yeah. And sure enough, that's what happened. Also, his relationship with the club's president, Juan Laporta, had become acrimonious. The two were highly critical of each other in the Spanish media last summer. They had a fairly high-profile slanging match. This season, the team has slipped to ninth in La Liga. They've lost two out of three matches in the Champions League. And losing at home to Real Madrid at the weekend effectively sealed Kuman's fate. He was sacked in midair as the team flew back from the match against Real Vallecano. And that's a one mile high club you really don't want to join. <laughs> yeah, poor, poor Ronald Koeman. But uh, yeah, it was inevitable. And Feyenoord have lost also a senior member of his staff uh, this week. Uh, yes, Mark Kuvermans has said he'll stand down as a club director on December the 1st. Uh, now, he's been the target of threats from fans and not just verbal threats. Last month, the windows of his house were smashed in and his home was daubed with paint. So pretty things got pretty nasty yeah. down at Feyenoord. Yeah. Uh, he's the third Feyenoord director to step down in five years in what's been a turbulent time at the club. Fans are unhappy with plans to move to a new stadium. And there was anger in the summer when club captain Stefan Berghaus was sold to arch-rivals Ajax. Feyenoord basically, like Barcelona, just don't have enough money to keep up the you know, very high expectations of their fans. Is uh, yeah. the root of much of the problems. Kuferman said it had reached a point where he had to ask himself every time he made a decision how it would affect his family. The Football Association said it had raised the issue with the government. Mariano van Leeuwen, the Cairnfe Bay's head of professional football, said this has to stop. Yeah, I mean, I can understand that if you are in a stadium as a fan, that you are uh, emotionally engaged with, with how the team is going. But if you step out of that stadium and you still uh, have the plan to uh, to attack someone's home yeah. uh, and you actually carry it out, then, I mean, something is really, really wrong with you. And uh, yeah. It's just bizarre. Some people lose all sense of proportion. I think, yeah, so. it's uh, insane. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we're heading into uh, Wopke Hoekstra's favorite season. <laughs> um, and there's some about the iconic Tiof Stadium, right? Yes, which is famously, of course, the venue for his photo shoot with Sven Kramer during the election yeah. campaign, that uh, yeah, infamous uh, um, photo shoot. Oh yeah, that was in the middle of, of, uh, of the corona restrictions and uh, you're actually not allowed to enter a sports venue if you are not a professional sportsman. Yeah. And all of a sudden he was standing there on his ice skates in his... Uh, yeah, with no mask on. In his, uh, in his tight uh, suit which he claimed he just grabbed from the side, but he actually brought himself uh, yeah. to the stadium. Yeah, it was a nice little scandal. Yeah. But um, go on, go on. Yeah, but the, the stadium in the Heerenveen uh, needs 20 million euros to keep going for the next 10 years. 
Uh, top skaters, including Sven Kramer and Irene Wust, have written to the government, calling for them to step in to save the stadium. Uh, Maurice Hendricks, the technical director of the Dutch Olympic Committee, said nearly all the Dutch skaters who will be winning all the medals in next year's Winter Olympics in Beijing sharpened their blades in Tielf. It's where champions are born and where we cheer them on, said Hendricks. Waldar de Vries, of the Dutch skating union Can SB, told the Telegraph that it's five minutes to midnight. So the message to the government is, uh, get your skates on. Yeah. Yeah. They are on thin ice now. Yes, indeed. Was there some actual sporting action this week, by the way? Because uh, until now we haven't uh, really talked about. No, that. we just talked about administrators and sackings, haven't we? And, uh, yeah, yeah, and stadiums. But no, there has been some real sporting action. Uh, Max Verstappen extended his lead in the Formula One Drivers' Championship. He won a nail-biting race at the US Grand Prix in Texas, which I saw you were tweeting enthusiastically about. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and there was also a, there were some more Dutch people involved in this race because uh, the uh, uh, Royal Dutch Air Force uh, had a flyover at the American Grand Prix. Uh, it was cancelled in Zandvoort because it was in the middle of the uh, uh, Afghanistan uh, takeover by the Taliban. That's unfortunate. The, yeah, yeah. So it was cancelled in the Netherlands and also because uh, there were already some uh, there was already some opeth about stickstuff and emissions and stuff like that of yeah. the Zandvoort Grand Prix. So they thought, well, if we have a, a couple of uh, F-35s flying over, then uh, that would only add to the uh, to the yeah. emissions, so they cancelled it. But there is a Dutch uh, uh, Royal Air Force uh, squadron based in Texas, so they always perform the flyover there. And uh, this year, the tradition was upheld, so that was very nice. Yeah, well, the fighter pilots were more in control than Max Verstappen at the first corner, where he went off the track <laughs> and uh, lost the lead to Lewis Hamilton. But then there was a kind of uh, fascinating game of cat and mouse through the rest of the Grand Prix race. Uh, Red Bull opted for an aggressive pit stop strategy, so Verstappen pitted earlier and held on despite his tyres wearing thin to win by 1.3 seconds and that gives them a 12 point lead with five races left and they're really targeting the next two races in Mexico and Brazil both tracks where Verstappen's won before uh, so he says they'll be absolutely crucial to his chances of uh, winning his first title and in football Ajax beat their nearest rivals PSV 5-0 to go four points clear in the Eredivisie uh, they're in Champions League action again next week uh, they're going to Dortmund uh, they beat uh, Borussia 4-0 in the third round of matches in in, in Amsterdam Feyenoord, Vitesse and PSV will also hope to boost their chances of progressing in Europe and as a doubt might as well shouldn't leave them out a Dutch submarine docked in the Royal Dutch Navy base in Den Helder received a very special guest this week the crew were surprised to see a walrus taking a nap on top of the HNLMS Dolphin submarine, hmm. which ironically belongs to the walrus class. Photos of the animal were posted on the Navy's social media accounts and went absolutely viral. The Defense Ministry said the animal stay didn't interfere with the submarine's activities in any way. A walrus usually doesn't leave its habitat of the Arctic Ocean, but Freya, as the walrus is called, has been swimming around the Wadensee for at least two months now. Freya was first spotted near Schimonnik Oog at the end of September and was since seen in Harlingen and near Den Helder, where she had now decided to use the submarine as a resting place. The Pieterbure Sea Mammal Rescue Center said they are keeping a close eye on Freya as she is touring the Dutch coast. Initially, she had a small wound on one of her flippers, but it has since healed. Uh, she appears to be in very good health and well able to look after herself, and Freya is expected to find her way home in time if left to her own devices. So she doesn't need any radar or sonar equipment yeah. from, the, some, from the submarine. And it is unknown if Freya is in the possession of a valid QR code, because you, know, you, you need it if you want to uh, have a drink somewhere yeah. uh, on the dike of Den Helder. That's true, yeah. Maybe she's got a QR code in the name of Adolf Hitler. 
<laughs> could be, could be. Yeah. And I found out a fun little Easter egg yeah. because um, you know the prefix of, of Dutch military vessels is Zijner uh, Majesteit. In yeah. in the UK it's uh, HMS, yes. uh, Her Majesty's ship, and in the US it's USS, a United States ship. In the Netherlands it's Zijner Majesteit, which also yeah. translates to His Majesty's uh, ship. But yeah. if you abbreviate that, it is ZR dot. MS yeah. dot and if you type that in in a tweet or on social media or somewhere mm. it turns into a link yes. uh, to a web page and if you click that you are directed to a Montserrat domain website <laughs> uh, right. but that one links directly to to the website of the Dutch uh, defense ministry with a list of all the military vessels oh, wow. um, in use by the uh, by the Royal Dutch Navy so that is a very cool. fun Easter egg I don't know who came up with this at the Dutch Ministry of Defense but uh, whoever did well done yeah. Um, yeah, very nice, and uh, yeah, that was uh, that was a very fun Easter egg. I That's a lovely detail. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I saw they made a link, but I didn't want to click on it in case I was taken to the dark web or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, you are taken to a dark website of Montserrat, <laughs> Montserrat which is an yeah. island of the Caribbean, and I think there's also a half of the island is is an exclusion zone. It's so, a volcanic uh, island. Yeah, it's a yeah. volcanic island. Yeah, yeah and half of uh, I think they they moved the capital because it was in danger of uh, yeah of uh, uh, getting destroyed by the volcano. But, yeah, it's, um, it's, well, it's a British territory as well, so it's probably, if, 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 uh, if it's not destroyed by a volcano, it'll probably be um, uh, destroyed by Brexit. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But at least you can use your QR code there now. <laughs> yeah, so Freya can, can just go to Montserrat and, uh, and stay there um, uh, comfortably. That's all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We'll include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast.dutchnews.nl and if you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. And you can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl and yourself a free shout-out on the podcast. My thanks to Paul Peters, I'm Gordon Darach, and we'll be back next week. (music) 